Love to start at Proverbs, although this won't, will not be our text for the day. I, I chose one verse for us today out of chapter 6, because today's the 6th, right? I've gotten that date wrong before. It's really embarrassing. Uh, but I picked verse 23. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the correction of disciplines, uh, discipline are the way to life. So today I wanted to uh, share two different stories about thieves. And um, some of this, what you hear today, if, you, if, you're, if you've been in this church for a long time, this will not be new news to you. And uh, yet, if, if that's you, I hope that at the end of the message today, you would be able to share the content of this message at work or somewhere else. And if you are new to the church, if you're a guest with someone, um, I hope you're going to hear something today that takes weight off of your shoulders. The intention today and my heart and our church's heart would be never for you to come in here to feel somehow you don't measure up, that you're not good enough, that you've got to check mark off these things off your list before you can be acceptable in the eyes of God. And we'll kind of get that clarified today. So thanks for coming, if that's you. Today I want to talk about um, two, two different stories about thieves. Unfortunately, the first story is about me, this thief. And I'm going to tell a story that I have never told to anybody in my life, not even my wife or my mother, okay? So every once in a while, you should turn over and stare at her and go, did you know that? You know, you don't have to say it, but give her that look. It's good for her. (laughs) That's what happens when you come to the church where your son stands in the pulpit. I guess that's the way it works. Um, But anyway, so this first story is about me. I was probably um, fifth grade-ish, so... um, you, I don't know for sure, maybe 11, 10, 12, somewhere in that age. And I had a friend named Dennis, and, I, and he and I, we, this was in Spokane, and we grew up you know, playing in the neighborhoods. We'd be outside doing things, and we had the rules, you know, kick the can in the street, you know, those kinds of games where you played, you made your own games. It didn't come with a controller. And, um, you, you know, the rules were simple. When the street lights came on, you started heading from home and those kinds of things. And yet we kind of roamed around the neighborhood. And where we lived, there were lots of places where there were empty lots. There were large volcanic, big, big rocks that just you couldn't put a house there. So there'd be empty lots. And there were, there were quite a few of them around. And, um, and so we were doing our thing as little boys do. And, um, um, at one point, I came to the spot, and here's this, this, this empty lot, and in the middle of this empty lot is an abandoned, what looked to me like an abandoned ski boat. Just in the middle, grass is growing everywhere. Now, I want you to know, the story I'm going to tell you, I was not raised to take things that were not mine. I was raised to not do that, okay? So don't look at her. Look at me, okay? <laughs> look, and look at me with all of your judgment and your disdain, because I'd earned it, okay? So... But I was not raised to take things that weren't mine. And I knew the difference between right and wrong. But something happened. I see this ski boat, and on this ski boat was this spotlight, just like the cops had on their car, with a handle on the inside and the light on the outside. Of course, I didn't think through the fact that you got to have a power source and something to mount it to. I just saw this abandoned, at least that's what I'm telling myself, this abandoned ski boat, and this spotlight, and I wanted it. And of course, because I was a Boy Scout, I was always prepared. I had my pocket knife. (laughs) So I don't know what happened, but I climbed up in this boat and playing, and I thought, I want this light. And out comes my knife, 
and I grab a hold of the wire loom coming out of the bottom of this thing, and I start sawing. <laughs> no, please. I hear the groans. I'm sorry. It's terrible. And I start sawing. And I, I don't know what I was thinking. Okay, you can't get the light out by cutting off the wires. You've got to have some tools. and do something. But anyway, I'm doing this. And somehow, um, I, I'm not proud of this story, okay? I, but, but this is just a story. So I, I, I realized there was a commotion off to the left. And here's this two-story house with a deck and a stairway on the second story, and this guy is coming out of the door and charging down the stairs. Hey, what are you doing? Uh-oh. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm breaking into a sweat right now thinking about that. <laughs> I am, I'm not kidding. And these thoughts come crashing through my mind. A guy's going to catch me. I'm a thief. Wait a minute, I'm not a thief. I don't do this kind of thing. Yeah, you're sawing through the wires, Terry. You're caught. And I I, I can still feel, just telling you the story, I feel this adrenaline dump like, oh. And there's this fight or flight. I think if I had had a big gulp before then, I probably would have wet my pants. (laughs) I was careful not to drink one before church today because I didn't want to embarrass myself. And I did the only thing I knew to do, jump and run. I ran. Never told you this, Mom. I ran. I knew all of the alleyways, the fences you could jump. The guy couldn't catch me. I was so glad he didn't catch me, but I have to say, for the next number of weeks, I believed every time I heard this, They were going to cuff me and take me away. Uh, It was terrible. And even though I ran, and even though I wasn't caught, that moment became this this milestone in my life. Not quite enough to tell my mom. (laughs) But, But it solidified something in me. I didn't even know God. But I sense something about grace going on in my life in those moments. And whether I got the light, which I didn't, or not, I did something. Because inside of me is a thief. Over the next four weeks, (laughs) I want to talk um, about four different stories about people who deserve something bad. uh, But because of the goodness and the grace of God... He didn't give them what they deserved. Next week, I want to talk to you about a very emotional story about a woman who was caught in adultery. And if you've ever felt ashamed for your sin or if you've ever been locked in some sort of a a sexual um, or other type of sin and you're feeling really, really dark, we'll see how Jesus did not give her what she deserved, which was condemnation. Instead, he gave her mercy. In the week after that, we're going to take a look at a guy named Zacchaeus who was a terrible sinner, and we're going to see how um, Jesus didn't give him the rejection that he deserved. Jesus accepted him, and then the last week we're going to talk about Peter, who continues to fail and fail and fail, and, and uh, he denies Jesus and rejects Jesus. And when he deserved to be counted out, Jesus gives him another chance. So today I want to talk about, about someone who actually deserved death, 
But because of the grace of God, God, uh, Jesus didn't give this man what he deserved. Instead, Jesus gives the man life. So for us to really wrap our hearts and our minds around where I want to go with this, we have to understand one big thought. So I'm going to plant this one big thought. It's, if you're a note taker, this is something to write down. It's this. We are all guilty of breaking God's laws. Every single one of us. You, me, every single one of us is guilty of breaking God's laws. For example, you know, I stole. Even though I didn't get the thing, I'm a bad thief right? I'm not a very good thief, but I, I tried to steal this thing. If you were to give me a title, I would be a thief. Thanks for calling me names in the back row. Okay, okay. So, no, I can ask for it. So, Terry's a thief. So, how many of you have ever, I mean, I'm not going to make fun of you. I just want to say, how many of you have ever taken something that wasn't yours? Wow. What a bunch of sinners. You need to be in church. <laughs> Did I just tell you I wasn't going to make fun of you? <laughs> Some of you didn't raise your hand And that was a lie. (laughs) So you're both a thief and a liar in church. Welcome to Crossroads Church where we're here to make you feel good about yourselves. (laughs) Here's what James 2.10 says says about this. It says, for a person who keeps all of the laws except one. How many? One. One. (laughs) Is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. This person is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. In other words, if you've just lusted one time, if you just cheated one time, if you if you just gossiped one time, you just lied one time, if you did it just once, you're as guilty in the eyes of God as someone who broke all the laws. We don't think that way. We really don't. You know, Romans 6.23, though, tells us exactly what the punishment is, what the payment is for breaking God's laws. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So if we understand this, because we've all sinned, we all deserve death. We deserve death. Here's some good news, though. Because of the grace of God, he doesn't give us what we deserve. If we find a Savior. If we find a Savior. Now, some of you already know this, and for others that maybe are, you're going to hear this for the very first time, I really want those of you who know this to really be able to share these concepts at work, because I believe that more and more and more, our world will not be changed because people come to church. It hasn't been that way for a long time, by the way. The world will be changed because of how you interact with people at work, in the playground, on the field, at school, how you interact with them, and for you to be able to share these truths in ways that are loving and authentic will make a difference in people's lives. So we're going to look at the, now at the second story of two thieves, and the first one was me and my friend Dennis. second one is about Jesus, and he's on the cross between two criminals. And here's what Luke says about this in Luke 23, starting in verse 32. There were also two others, criminals. The word is literally wrongdoer. They were bad people. Can we know that? led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the wrongdoers, the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now, back in the time of Jesus, there were lots of ways the Romans would execute people. They became very inventive about it. I mean, it's gruesome. Um, It depended on the kind of crime. Um, It was a very paternal society. The father or the... um, the patriarch of a family had huge authority over the family, and they could do things to people of lower status 
with no consequence. But if you did, committed a crime against people going up the chain, it got worse and worse. Um, Roman citizens could not be crucified. That's why Paul was beheaded, but Peter was crucified. Um, but like, if, if, you, if you were to commit a murder against like a father or a grandfather, their way of executing you was, I mean, they would, can I tell this? They would sew you inside of an ox skin with a snake and a monkey <laughs> and a dog and a rooster and throw you in the sea. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, and not fast. Or um, there was just all kinds of, they, they invented all kinds of things. And crucifixion, though, was, was special. And it was reserved for, it was actually the most expensive form of capital execution that they had. The reason was because if you're going to be crucified, they had to have four Roman soldiers plus one centurion stay with you until you died. And sometimes people would last for days before they would die. That's why sometimes the Roman soldiers would actually break the legs of the person. The, w- the way the crucifixion would work is, is that you, you basically, um, hanging on a cross, you would be, it would be difficult for you to breathe. You'd have to push up with your legs to take the weight off your shoulders so that your diaphragm could effectively allow you to breathe. And so by breaking your legs, you wouldn't be able to push up and you'd suffocate sooner. So it was a very, very expensive form of execution reserved for people whom the Roman government wanted to hurt and humiliate. They saved it for the cases they wanted to spend the most money on and make the biggest public statement about. So um, this tells us a lot about the people that Jesus was hanging next to. We don't know what crimes they did, um, but it was bad enough that the Romans wanted to spend the extra time and money and effort to really hurt these two guys and to really humiliate them. Humiliate them because they would strip them naked and you would hang naked in front of people. People would come by and they'd laugh and insult and whatever they would do. And in fact, executions were considered a form of entertainment in Roman culture. They wanted to so dominate those that they had conquered that it was absolutely meant to be not just an effective way of removing the bad people or the criminal, but also a deterrent. Don't mess with us kind of a thing. So they'd strip these criminals down and they'd hang them in front of people and they you know, basically would many times bake in the sunlight. And, um, and then they, after they died, they wouldn't even bring them down. They would leave them up there and the birds would, you know, you can just imagine. And um, so we don't know what these criminals did. But it was bad enough that the Romans were spending their money to humiliate them just like they did with Jesus. So, and in this horrible situation, verse 39 goes on and says this. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. You can hear the tone probably. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? Here we got Another bad guy on the other side, he pipes back at this first guy. He says, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. In other words, we brought this on ourselves. But this man has done nothing wrong. And I'd like to very gently and humbly say to you or suggest that Every single one of you, every single one of us, spiritually speaking, every one of us, we're all one of these two thieves. We're one of them. If we look at it from a spiritual perspective in the eyes of God, we're one of these two thieves. And let's summarize what they said so you can know if you're more like thief number one or thief number two. 
First guy's hanging in there. He's hurling insults at Jesus. And look again at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So what do we know about this guy? First off, he's arrogant, right? He's, he's full of pride. He's, he's entitled. He, he doesn't fear God at all. If there's anything about God that he wants, it's, you know, okay, if you're Jesus' savior guy, save me too. And some people approach God in exactly that way. They do. You know, all right, if there's a hell and if there's a heaven, then I'll say the little prayer and I'll get baptized, I'll do whatever, and just, just, just to get something from God. But don't ask me for anything back. It's an, it's an entitled mindset. This guy doesn't, doesn't recognize, he doesn't own any guilt. He's saying, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. This isn't fair. And if I was to summarize this guy in one word, I'd say this, he's, this guy, this, this, this is the guy or the gal who is, is, is unrepentant. Unrepentant. He's, he's not owning any of his sinfulness. He's, he's not done anything wrong in his mind. He's critical. He doesn't fear God. He, he doesn't see any need for a savior. He's unrepentant. Second guy, though, although he's equally guilty, has a different perspective. In verse 40, he says to the other criminal, he says, don't you fear God? Sometimes I think that's what Jesus would say to people today. Don't you have any fear at all of God? He says, he said, since you are under the same sentence, and then he owns his own sin, he says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. He's saying, hey, we broke the law. We actually deserve this. But this guy, he's innocent. So if I was to summarize the second guy, yeah, he's guilty. No doubt about it. He deserves this. But he's broken. He's humble. He recognizes. He says, I've done something wrong here. And even though he's not perfect, he's got some fear of God. And he's number two, he's repentant. He's repentant. He, He respects and fears God. He's broken. He's humbled. He's desperate. He sees this need for forgiveness. So the first thief is unrepentant, and the second one's repentant. He needs mercy, and he needs help. He knows he can't do anything for himself, and he's calling out for Jesus. And here's why this is so important. We live in a world, in a culture that's just really significantly shifted. I mean, I think 20 years ago, people had no problem saying, yeah, I've, I've done some things wrong. I'm, we're sinners. But today, people get all in a wad about it. They, they get all offended. You know, don't, don't, don't call me a sinner. Don't call me a sinner. Don't tell me that's a sin. Don't tell me this is a sin. What's a sin for you is not a sin for me. And, and I'm not a bad person. The problem is that in that mindset, we're comparing ourselves to other people, not to the standards of God. So you, you might be sitting right now next to somebody who's, you know, much worse than you. So you can think, I'm not that bad a person because of the person I'm sitting next to, you know. So just go ahead and right now and say to them, you know, you make me feel better about myself. <laughs> but mostly, the reality is, mostly it's like, the, the attitude is, you know, don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me I'm a bad person. Don't tell me I've done something wrong. And, and that's why it's so important to recognize that we have all broken God's laws. Because until we recognized recognize that we have sinned. We don't recognize our need for a Savior. The very moment we recognize that we have fallen short of God's standards, it's at that moment that we become a candidate 
for God's grace. If you're unrepentant, if you're arrogant, if you're full of pride like so many in the world are today, you know, you're more like thief number one. But if you recognize, you know, I've messed up, I've, I've done wrong, I've, I'm, I, I need forgiveness, then you're more like thief number two. Until you see your sinfulness, you won't see your need for a savior. You know, um, anybody here ever gotten a speeding ticket? <laughs> yeah, me too. Honey, you put your hand up, right? Or were you busy? Okay. You know. So I've always liked cars um, and um, fun cars. I'll call them fun cars. They're really irresponsible. I mean, there's no such thing as an irresponsible car, just irresponsible drivers, okay? Anyway, so I've always liked cars, and um, there was a time in my life that I probably got into a little more trouble in my heart and a little bit with the police, but mostly in my heart. And there was a season where God said, okay, no more fun cars for you, Terry, for a while. And uh, since that time, he's spoken differently to me. But, um, but there was a time, and this was, this was years and years ago, I had just bought this Camaro, and I wanted to show my friend this car. And uh, I was in downtown Olympia along, around Capitol Lake. And this was before they built the parks and so forth. So it used to be that you could be over by where the railroad tracks are. If you know Olympia, you'll know what I'm talking about. Over where the railroad tracks are, and across the lake, there was this little park. And I, this was a summer night. The place was deserted. It was still light out. And I said, hey, watch this. And I'm over there on the backside of the lake and um, in the downtown side. And uh, I did this really huge burnout. <laughs> it was a good one, okay? So, you know, the kind where the smoke goes, but the car doesn't. This is really cool, but burnout. Irresponsible. Ah, I deserved it. I knew I was in trouble. And immediately across the lake, the guy was a quarter mile from me as a crow flies, but it wasn't a crow, it was a cop car. It was at least a mile maybe around there, right? As soon as I did that burnout, I look up and I see these lights go. (laughs) Here he comes. I thought about running. (laughs) But I didn't. I thought, stupid. I deserve it. I just put the car in park, turned it off, and sat and waited. Seemed like forever. That car came, came around the lake. Lisa was in the passenger. You were in the back seat, and my best friend was in the, one of my friends was in the front seat. And she's back, you know, wife's going. She didn't have to say anything. And the cop comes up, and he pulls right up behind me. There's two, two, two officers in the car, and I'm thinking, write me my ticket. I deserved it. I earned it. And he doesn't come, and he doesn't come, and he doesn't come, and he doesn't come. And then he gets out of his car, and he runs to my car. I think, this can't be good. (laughs) And um, (laughs) he gets up to my car, and he does this too. He goes, the only reason I'm not writing you up for negligent driving is I have a burglary in progress. Now get out of here. (laughs) I wanted to jump out and spike my car keys, but no, I... I thought, you know, I'm not going to wait for him to get called off of his deal. Oh, that was grace. It was forced grace. He didn't want to give me grace. (laughs) That was years and years ago. A few years ago, I got pulled over another time. I'm on the freeway. This is a different story. And this time I'm doing the speed limit and I'm driving my pickup truck. 
and it's not a fast car, and I wasn't really doing anything to provoke anything, and the lights come on. Okay, pulled over. He just comes to me and says, Hey, um, your tabs are expired, Pastor Terry. I said, no. I mean, I am an administratively wired person. I have my ducks lined up. If, they're not, if, if, the, if the tabs are not on my car, my thinking is this, if the tabs are not on my car, it's because the state of Washington has messed up. Because I don't make that kind of mistake. That's what I thought. That's what I was thinking. But that's not what I said. I said, you know what? I, I'm... I, I normally take care of that. I don't know how I overlook that. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Okay, so what do we do? He says, go fix it. And he let me go. Grace. Grace. In the Camaro burnout deal, if I had run, how much grace do you think I would have gotten after they caught me? Or even the second one where the guy got out and called me by name and I didn't recognize I'm pastor of a large church with a couple thousand people that, you know, you don't know them all and they know you though because you're in front and called me by name. But my attitude was, okay, what do I have to do? I'm really sorry. It was, it was like, go and sin no more. Grace. Not getting what I deserved. But if you're arrogant... If you're full of pride, God, look, God looks down on that and says, you know, I really can't help you right now. You've got to work through this on your own, I guess. But if you come to God repentance and you say, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I messed up, God. I, I know that. Then you become a candidate for God's grace. Here's what's so amazing. Here's Jesus hanging on this cross next to two equally guilty people. They were both equally guilty. They both equally deserved death. They both, both saw and heard the same things. They are both suffering severely and they both needed a savior and they both had the very, very same opportunity. And one of those two guys missed it completely and the other one grabbed it. Grabbed it. And sometimes that thought, you know, it stirs me... Um, because I thought, you know, I'm going to share this message. I've had this message prepared since before we went on our trip. And uh, I knew that, um, that I would share this message, and I suspect that and concerned that there would be people in this room who have never made the decision to grab the opportunity of grace with God, and they'll overlook it today. And so I was down here one day this week, walking through this room, Kind of, it kind of, kind of, this, the thought of that can, can keep me up at night sometimes. Walking through this empty room, laying my hands on chairs and praying. I didn't know who was going to be here or where you'd be sitting, but the Holy Spirit knew it. And there are people in this room just like that with access to the same opportunity. Some will grab it and some will not. Some will say, I, I, I don't, they're going to be like thief number one. I, I, that's stupid religion. I, I don't need that. I'm not a bad person. And other people say, yeah, I messed up. I realize it. The good news, the good news is that the second person is going to call on Jesus and they're going to be transformed. They're going to be made new. They're going to be just forgiven, transformed, changed, healed. The second thief deserved death, but Jesus gave him life. 
the way Jesus forgave him is so powerful and it really, really illustrates the beauty of God's grace. And there's power in this story because the second thief, he rebukes this first guy and then he looks to Jesus and, and watch what he says. Now, don't miss this because it goes by really quick. Look at what he says. He says, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did you get that? Lord, remember me. Is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. That's it. It wasn't, oh, Heavenly Father, I beseech you in all of your grandeur while we lowly worms learn to add thee to our sentences. It wasn't that. It wasn't some grandiose, perfectly worded. It was this, just remember me, Jesus. An authentic repentance. No begging. It wasn't fancy. And Jesus looks over at this guy in this moment of authentic repentance. He looks at me and says, he says, assuredly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Boom! Boom! Right there! A couple of authentic sentences. And this guy's eternity is changed forever. You know, this, this, this shared moment between these two guys at the cross, Jesus and this guy who, who knew he needed a Savior, is the very clearest example that I can think of in, in, in scriptures of what's talked about in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and that you're going to find in the Bible. This guy's lost, he's hurting, he's broken. All he knew, knew to do was to look to God. And Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. That's the best news ever. Because if you've ever tried to be good enough, you can't do it. You just can't get it right. You know, it's precisely because we mess up and God knows that, that, that he makes it that we can only be saved by grace. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works but by the grace of God through believing what Jesus did on the cross and that that was enough, not by your works. You're not made right with God by being good enough. You're not made right with God by going to church. You're not made right by God with God by giving money. You're not made right with God by, by doing nice things for people. You're not made right with God by stopping bad things. You're not made right with God because you stop cussing on the golf course, which is probably impossible. <laughs> You're made right with God by grace through faith. And this thief on the cross, you think about the issue of good works. He couldn't do any good works. He's nailed to a cross and dying. He can't get off of there and go help the poor. He can't do any good works. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't turn over a new leaf. He couldn't start tithing. He couldn't do all of those things that are good for us to do, but they don't save us. All he could do was trust in the grace of Jesus, and suddenly that brings other scriptures to life. Psalm 103 says in verse 10 through 12, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Okay? So great is his love for those who fear him. How as high as the heavens are. If you're a little bit of an astronomy nerd, 
you know that one of the first Earth-based satellites is just now leaving the solar system after having traveled for how many years? 20 or 30 years? I mean, going fast, and it's just getting out of our solar The heavens are high above the Earth. They're high. That's how much he loves us. And, um, and, and how, how great his love is for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. That's equally long distance. Can't be measured. I like that. Until I remind God about that spotlight, he has to send it back out again as far as he is from the west. We do that with God, you know. We remind him about what's wrong with us. Why do we do that? He says, hey, 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 forgiven, it means forgiven. You need to move on and work, work, work as my partner rather than dragging along this chain from the past. There's a scripture that says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize, Christians, when you feel condemned, that is never from heaven? Never. That's hellish. Conviction comes from heaven. That's where the Holy Spirit says, hey, Terry, no more burnouts. That's not condemnation. That's, hey, son, you're better than this. Let's not do that. Or when your attitude, Terry, um, about something. And uh, I, I tell you, the Lord is shaping my attitude all the time. <laughs> I'm not telling you about that today, though. <laughs> but here's, here's the good news that we shouldn't miss. We don't have eternal life because we're good. We have eternal life because God is good. Amen. Because God is good. And that's the heart of the gospel. We're not good. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We only have it because God is good. And um, I'm going to tell you how good he is. There's nothing you can do that will make, you love, make him love you more. Did you know that? There's nothing you can do that will make him love you more. And there's no sin you can commit that will make him love you less. <laughs> it's, it's not because of what he does. It's because God is love. That's who he is. And because he loves you so much, he sent Jesus, Philippians 2, 6, 8, who being, talking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was very God of very God, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Imagine our Savior on that cross. I mean, he, he should have been sitting on a throne. He's hanging on a cross. He should, have been, he should have been wearing a crown of gold. Instead, he's got on a crown of thorns. He should have been surrounded by servants. Instead, he's hanging with thieves. And he was innocent, and he gave his life for us, the people who are guilty. While we were sinners, Christ died in our place. And that's why God doesn't hold our sins against us. On the cross, he looks up to heaven and he says, God, it's finished. I've done what you sent me to do. It's accomplished. Into your hands now I commend my spirit. He says those things. And when he did, Scripture says the earth shook. <laughs> and the skies went dark. God, I've done what you sent me to do. I trust you now with my, with my life and and he commended his spirit, and the earth shook, and the, eye, the skies went dark. What a day. And a centurion who was standing there looked on, and he said these words, 
Surely this was the Son of God. We have to recognize that we don't have this potential of human life because we're good. We have it because he's good. And we've all sinned. We all deserved it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. He doesn't judge me according to my own actions. Instead, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The old is gone and everything becomes new. Basically, Scripture teaches that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Church, um, I just want to pray with you as we close and dismiss and say for so many of you, this is the gospel. You know this. Maybe it's a little different than you've heard it before. But you need to be able to share this truth because it will set people free. I want to also speak to people in this room who want to be set free this moment. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm not asking you to do any good works. I'm asking you to consider being thief number two because you're one of them. Why be the one who mocks God and dies in darkness when you can be the one who says, you know, God, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all it takes. True repentance and acknowledgement that you need a savior. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes. And to say, if there's anyone here who would say for the very first time in their life, yeah, I need a Savior, I just want to pray with you, and I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything other than that. Would you just look up at me and just let me eyes meet kind of a thing, and then I'll pray with you with the group. So I got lights in my face. If I don't see you make eye contact, would you give me a little hand wave? Okay. Second is Christians. I think sometimes we get balled up in trying to do things to please God and to make him love us more. It's good to be reminded that he loves us because he loves us. Receive that love today. I I, I encourage you, sons and daughters of the king, receive that love. Let it change you and shape you. Lord, today, fill us with life. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. It's hard to conceive how high the heavens are above the earth. So we have this, this metaphor that does a really poor job of, for, for our little feeble minds to understand as best as we can do. Thank you for loving us so big, God. Fill us with life, we pray this day.